It's awesome to know that God's goodness and his love for us never changes. Across the earth, 
So I shout, so I shout out your name. From the rooftops I proclaim that I am yours. I am yours. And all that I am, I place into your loving hands. And I am yours. Dear God, we, f- we know that you are our Father and you love us. And when we surrender ourselves to you, Father, you're not going to harm us. You're not going to destroy us. But God, you are going to love us and you have plans for us that are amazing. And we know that that takes faith and it takes trust to trust you with those things that we've handed over to you. And Father, when you call us out upon the waters... Lord, we pray that we would follow you out there. Forgive us for watching the waves. Forgive us for not focusing on you and keeping our eyes on you. But keep our eyes from from dropping, Lord. 
We want our focus to be on you. We want to keep contact straight with you, Lord. So, Father, as we continue to worship this morning, we pray that um, you would hear our words in this next song and that they would be a sincere prayer of our hearts, Lord.
Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, for speaking into our lives, God, and caring about our growth and caring about how close we are to you. We pray that you would use this morning to work in our hearts, Lord, to work in our lives, Father, and to open our eyes to see things from your perspective, Lord, and from your view. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, it's great. Great to see you this morning. Uh, Modern-day phenomenon, it's kind of interesting. Being a Facebooker, I kind of do pre-attendance. I look at Facebook throughout the week and figure out who's in Florida, who's in Washington State, who's in Washington, D.C., who's all over the country. I thought Kim and I would be here today, and the rest of you were off having a great time. So thank you for being here today. It's great to have you here this morning. As we get started today, I want to encourage you, as always do, to take that folder that you have with you today. On the front side, there are some uh, announcements that keep you connected with what's going on around church. On the inside, there's a card, and we'd like you to go ahead and get your name on that today. Uh, Just give us an idea of the fact that you were here. There are also some... uh, things that you can check off on the back side. Perhaps you've been thinking about it for a while and you're saying, yes, by the end of the summer in August, I'd like to go ahead and get baptized. And so you can check that box off today. Or maybe you want to be one of the people that helps with childcare. As I was walking through the hallway, somebody was dropping off a child and things were not going well. So I shouldn't tell you that. As I tell you, check that off. But it, it can be a real adventure in there sometimes. And, and we need your adventuresome spirit to go ahead and help with that. So uh, any of those, feel free to do that. Today's a, 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 an interesting day, a special day. I like to be able to every once in a while come to church and enjoy it the way you do, to be able to come and, and listen to someone else instead of hearing me talk. Every once in a while, it's good to be able to just gear down a little bit, not be the one doing the preparing, and instead be being the one doing the listening and learning from God what he has to say to us. Uh, this week and next, I have a friend coming to speak. His name is Charles Stone. I can tell you several things about Charles that would impress you. He has a doctorate from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Having gone there, I know that is not an easy thing to get. You don't just mail that in and, and they go mail in the money and they give you a diploma. That's hard work. He's written a couple of books for InterVarsity, and uh, that's pretty impressive, too. He's not just written for a, for a vanity publisher and gone ahead and got some books published. So those are pretty impressive things. But here's what impresses me about him. We met at a conference about soul care. We were there for a couple of days of being quiet and having someone else guide us through the process of finding out where is our soul now, is it actually in touch with God, or is it somewhere else? You see, you're, you're going to find this very hard to believe. Pastors can be some of the farthest people away from God in the world. In all the business of doing church, sometimes we forget about our souls. And, and the fact that he was there and, and wasn't just saying, hey, I've written this stuff, I know this stuff. No, he was, he was submitting himself in that moment to someone else to be able to learn, to be able to listen, and to be able to work on the condition of his soul. I find that really impressive. So uh, when we have someone come and speak, generally we do that because it's someone who has a great heart and a growing heart. And that's what we were looking for. And we look forward to hearing from Charles, like I said, this week and next week. I'm really looking forward to the topic today. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I already looked at the slides. So I've got a prep. I know where this thing's going. And uh, we're going to have a great time together. Why don't you go ahead and welcome him with your hands. Thanks. Thanks, Dennis. It's great to be with you guys. And uh, this is always that most awkward moment when the new guy's up there. You're sizing me up. I'm sizing you up. You're wondering, is this guy going to be interesting? Is he going to be biblical? Is he going to be boring? Or is jokes going to be funny or not? Well, you'll find that out in a little bit. But uh, I thought, what a great way to break the ice and to show you a picture of my family. We all like sharing pictures. So here's a picture of my family. That's, uh, that's me, obviously, and my wife down there. Um, she'll be here next week. My oldest daughter is in the middle. That's Heather. 
Her husband in the back is Charlie, and they, are, they live a half a block off the beach in California, suffering for Jesus out there. <laughs> Tiffany is in the bottom. She lives at home with us. An amazing, amazing story. Diagnosed with a brain tumor at age one, six brain surgeries. Just an incredible, incredible story. Doing well now, but she lives at home with us, getting her degree now. She wants to be a chaplain because she understands what pain's all about. My son Josh is on the outside there. He married Deborah. About a year ago, he lives in New Hampshire. He's an associate pastor up there, kind of interim associate pastor. And um, he, is, uh, he was a straight Arab. I mean, we never even gave him a curfew when he was, uh, when he was younger. And uh, just, I love my family. Deeply, deeply love my family, as I know you do as well. Now, this morning, I'm going to speak directly to guys. This is a message targeted to guys. Now, if you're a woman, you're maybe thinking, okay, what's in it for me? Because I've been to some churches, you know, the guy pastors targeting a message towards a certain group of people. And I think, well, if I'm not in that group, then, then what's in it for me? Well, let me say, if you're a woman, there's some guy in your life, a dad, husband, son, a grandfather, a nephew. There's some guy in your life that you really have a heart for. So when I kind of lay out where I'm going, challenging guys, I would ask for you to pray these very things for that guy in your life. So I think there's something there for you. So it's not just for guys, but we are targeting guys. So I, have a, I want to begin with a question. Here's the question. If somebody came up to you and asked you this, what is the real man? What would you say? You don't have to answer. Just kind of think about it. What does it really mean to be a real guy, a real man, a truly masculine man? How would you answer that? What, what, what would you say? Well, we're going to look this morning what it really means to be a man through the eyes of Jesus. Because Jesus himself is the one that models for us guys what it means to be a man. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. So since I'm kind of challenging the guys, I want to know if it's okay with you gals if I have a little fun with you right now. Is that okay? Okay, I saw one nod there. That'll count. <laughs> now, this is not in the Bible, but it was on the internet. <laughs> God had a conversation with Adam before he created Eve, and here's how the conversation went. One day after a near eternity in the Garden of Eden, Adam calls out to God, Lord, I have a problem. What's the problem, Adam? God replies, Lord, I know you created me and have provided for me and surrounded me with this beautiful garden and all these wonderful animals, but I'm not happy. Well, why is that, Adam? God replies. Well, Lord, you, you know that you created this place for me with all this lovely food and all these beautiful animals, but I'm lonely. Well, Adam, in that case, I have the perfect solution for you. I will create a woman. And Adam says, what is a woman? Then God says, oh, this woman will be the most intelligent, sensitive, caring, and beautiful creature I have ever created. She will be so intelligent that she can figure out what you want before you want it. <laughs> she will be so sensitive and caring that she will know your every mood and how to make you happy. Her beauty will rival that of the heavens and earth. She will unquestioningly care for your every need and desire. She will be the perfect companion for you, replies the heavenly voice. Adam says, sounds great. She will be, but this is going to cost you, Adam, God said. Adam says, well, how, how much is this woman going to cost me? The Lord says, she'll cost you an arm and a leg. You know where I'm going. Adam, Adam ponders this for some time, the look of deep thought and concern in his face. Then he says, God, what can I get for a rib? <laughs> that was the punchline. Punchline. <laughs> Two more. Mission, go to Gap to buy a pair of pants. This is the mall. Men are in blue. Women are in red. The guy goes into the mall. He turns right. He sees Gap sign. He goes into Gap. He purchases his pants and he leaves in blue. Total time, six minutes. Cost $33. The woman who is in red makes a few detours. Time, three hours, 26 minutes, cost $876. And you're still laughing, one more. Before the slide goes up. Now, this is where you are, where, wherever you are in your relationship, guys. Yeah. 
Chances of a man winning an argument, dating, engagement, marriage, period, at the end there. So anyway, well, ladies, I hope you still will like me after that. So back to the original question. What does it mean to be a real guy? What does it mean to be a masculine man? We see these conflicting messages all the time. I love going to movies. Tony Stark and the Iron Man, Superman. These guys leap tall buildings, dodge the bullet, and get the girl. So you got this image on one hand, the man, the, you know, the power guy. On the other hand, you got the guys that are so in touch with their gal. They know how to talk to them, bring them flowers and chocolate, all those kinds of things. So here we have these two images. Not only that, some TV shows present us guys as bumbling idiots. And if you're a Christian... And you're shown on the screen, oftentimes it's either you're hard-nosed, you have no compassion, or you have no backbone. Add to that, guys, are these facts. The experts tell us that we men feel less spiritual than our wives, yet at the same time we fear being perceived as overly religious. We die sooner than women. We get sick more often. We commit more crimes. We're more accident-prone. And most men grew up as boys without good male models. It's tough being a guy. It's tough being a man in this culture in which we live. So what are you supposed to do? How are we supposed to act? What are we supposed to be like? Well, I want to begin with a couple of foundational scriptures before we relook really at the life of Jesus. And if you want to turn to Romans, or rather John 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 32. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to read a scripture to you. And I just want you to listen to this. I'm going to read it in a, by emphasizing various words and phrases. And here's a great way of reading your Bible every day. Sometimes, you know, we read these long passages. Sometimes it's good to read just a few and then emphasize in different ways. So I'm going to read this several times. In fact, if I could do this, would you just close your eyes and so you could really kind of focus on what I'm, what I'm saying and allow the Holy Spirit to take these words And place them deep into your soul. I'm going to read it once, kind of regular, then I'm going to emphasize various parts. Romans 8, or rather John 8, 32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Father, I pray that the reality of this verse would be that you, your Holy Spirit would Deepen it into the heart of every single man here today. That your truth, that we would see your truth and live your truth. about what it really means to be a true man. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's one foundational verse. Now there's another one. It's Genesis 127. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And this is such an encouraging verse to me because it, it reminds me that none of us are this quirk of evolution where because of time and chance and primordial soup, we ended up on this branch. No. God says he created every single person with purpose and meaning. And he has a plan for every single one of us. Now, what that means is, because we have eternal worth and and eternal value, to be made in God's image, guys, means this. We can't live exclusively for ourselves. To be made in the image of God strikes at our tendency to do life the way we want to. Strikes at our independent streak in all of us. We owe something back to God. Every one of us does. Because our identity and true masculinity is so deeply entwined in the way we relate to Him... We are his representatives. God wants us to walk on this earth. When people look at us, they see a glimpse of the nature and character of God. Not that we're little gods, but that we reflect his nature. God's son, Jesus Christ, models for us what it really means to be a real man. And listen to this, guys. Because Jesus was a real man, in every sense of the word, he said you never sinned, to follow Jesus... 
To be truly masculine is not churchy. It's not phony. It's not an unrealistic life, but an engaging life. Filled with passion and compassion and emotion and tension. All with divine perspective, meaning and purpose. So what I'm going to do is kind of give a broad sweep of the Gospels. What we see in the life of Jesus. And kind of dip in and out into some of the episodes in his life. To see what Jesus said and how he modeled what it really means to be a real man. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you five sets of two words. If you want to take some notes, I'd encourage you to do this. They describe the life of Jesus. Now, when I give these to you, it may seem that they contradict. As you step back, if you just took those words by themselves, you'd say, well, these are just opposites. They really aren't. We're going to see how in the life of Jesus, as he models for us how to really live, to be real guys, both of these coexist together. Now, guys, I have an assignment for you, okay? And here's my assignment. When I go through these uh, five sets of two words, I'd like you to pick out two, two words that resonate with you the most. The first one, pick out the one that, that's a strength in you. You know, we can rejoice in that, not in a sinful, prideful way. But we can say, God, thank you for making that a part of who I am. Thank you for that. So pick out one strength, okay? On the other hand, I want you to pick out one area that you'd have to say, well, Charles, that one, we've got a lot of work to do there. Okay, so as we go through these five sets of two words, pick out one that is a strength, rejoice in that, and then pick out one that you would say, that's a weakness, and I'll kind of give you some steps on how to work on that, okay? All right, here's the first one. Power and compassion. Power and compassion. Now, if you lived in, in the biblical days, and if you were a Hebrew, you'd often go to Jerusalem for these various feasts. That was just part of what you, what you did. But if you lived a long ways away, you couldn't carry sacrifices, and you didn't have the temple monetary uh, th- their money. So you come in, and these guys would set up in the temple courts. Uh, they were money changers. So they exchanged money, so you'd have temple money. And they also, you could buy, some, buy sacrifices. But what happened was, these guys were shysters. They were cheats. They set up shop, and they cheated people. And Jesus saw that. And here's what he did in Matthew 21. It says, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and benches of those selling doves. Now, this was no wimpy thing to do. You get the picture? All these guys have set up shop, all their tables and all their money boxes, and he went through and he turned them all over. This was not a wimpy thing to do. This would be like going to the New York Stock Exchange and pulling the plug on all the computers. That's a gutsy thing to do. Not only that, but you see, we, through the life of Jesus, he went against cultural norms. He refused to submit to the traditions of men that were false and meaningless and presented a false view of spirituality. He didn't play games. He dropped a few bombshells on the hypocrites. He took risks everywhere he went. He even called the religious leaders whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He purposely healed on the Sabbath, which was legalistically prohibited. Jesus didn't pull any punches, guys, especially when he dealt with hypocrites. No wonder he got crucified. He was seen as a religious reactionary. Guys, Jesus was a man's Man, he was a gutsy guy. Yet, on the one hand, he was a gutsy, a man's man. He was a man full of compassion. Often the gospel writers would describe Jesus with that very term, being filled with compassion. You know, leprosy in that day was like the AIDS of this day, but only so much worse. Jesus had compassion on leopards. He would heal them. He would touch them. He had compassion on this woman who had been sick for her whole life. No one could help her, and he had compassion on her, and he healed her. One guy, this wealthy guy, this wealthy yuppie, came up to him and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? I've obeyed all these commands. And Jesus says, Sell all you have and give to the poor. The Scripture says he walked away sad. And Jesus had compassion on this guy missing what he really needed. So Jesus models both power and compassion side by side. They're not contradictory. That's the first set. Here's the second set. Head and heart. This is more what I would call intellect and emotion. Guys, we often react to our world with our bodies. We do. But yet we often keep our emotions safely tucked away inside. You women have a whole lot more uh, ability to experience your emotions and feel them and, and share them. We have a struggle with that. Well, at 12 years old, Jesus sent shockwaves through Wild the Temple because of his grasp of the Scriptures. Luke 2.46 says this. This was after Mary Joseph and Jesus come in uh, to celebrate the Passover. They were heading back in this caravan. They thought Jesus was in the caravan, and they found out he wasn't. So they went back. 
And it says, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So here was this 12-year-old boy, Jesus, amazing the most brilliant religious leaders of the day. His arguments, his logic, silenced the most brilliant. He tongue-tied the Roman procurator. Remember that? Pontius Pilate, when Pontius Pilate said, what is truth? He created his ingenious intellectual dilemmas for his adversaries. He masterfully used scripture in the context of life with illusions and questions that made people think. Jesus, even though he was an intellectual giant, after all, he had the very wisdom of God, Jesus loved people and he was able to connect with them at a heart level. I, I went to my undergrad degree's uh, engineering and... Uh, I went to Georgia Tech, and you walk on the Georgia Tech campus, and it's like this. You feel the brain waves. These guys are so smart. I struggled to get through. I made it through, but these super smart guys. These guys were so smart, but many of them did not have one single uh, iota of an ability to connect with people at a heart level. Jesus, as brilliant as he was, he connected with people who hurt. He enjoyed the company of men. And he, in a non-sexual way, in a pure way, one of the disciples was called the disciple whom Jesus loved, John. Does anybody know the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Everybody knows that. Why was he weeping? He was weeping because one of his best friends, Lazarus, had died, and he was weeping out of grief. Now, he knew he was going to raise him from the dead, yet he was weeping. Jesus understood, and he experienced fully the emotions of life. He connected with the people at a heart level. He could experience grief and anger at the same time when the religious professionals questioned him healing on the Sabbath. He was astounded at the faith of a, of a Roman centurion who had great faith. He even enjoyed parties. Jesus loved parties, especially spending time with people who are outside of the faith. Jesus used his mind. He used his intellect. But he also connected with people at the very core of his being, at an emotional level. Head and heart. Third, two, two set, two words. Present and future. Present and future. Jesus approached people where they were. He never, he never did this. When someone really messed up, they really screwed up, they sinned, they all kinds of horrible things, they came to Jesus with a, with a hurting heart. He never said, how in the world did you get yourself in that shape? We do that sometimes as parents when our kids do something stupid. Jesus never did that. Never, never did that. To the woman who's caught in, adul- uh, caught in adultery, he didn't ask her, why did you do this? He didn't do that. He met people right where they were. In one sense, he was a realist. He moved, but in another sense, he moved people toward a better future. To the woman caught in adultery, he said, he'd quit sinning. He told Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who had cheated people apparently before he really followed Christ, he says, go and make things right. Moving him forward. Guys, unfortunately, sometimes we try to create the present like it was the past. I was talking to your drummer here. He's a, a football coach, and I played like seven games of football in high school. I was a shrimp, but I remember going to camp, and it was, oh, it was, it was horrible. Um, but sometimes, guys, you know what we do? We, we go back to like our, the good old days, the fraternity days, the stud days, the athlete days, you know, and the girls really were, you know, we had something to show, but now we kind of like. <laughs> and we try to create that same thing on Friday night or Saturday night or on the golf course. It just doesn't really work. On the other hand, I've seen some men who don't just live in the past. I've seen some men who live so much in the future, they leave their families behind. Let me explain it. Good friend of mine, doctor friend of mine, Sam Colburn, uh, he, he was telling me a story about, he was an ER doctor. And he said this one guy came, he had a heart attack. It almost, almost killed him. He was a really hotshot businessman. And this guy demanded the telephone be put right next to his bed so he could keep up with what's happening at work. You know, like, Sam thought, this guy almost died. Some men live so much in the future, they're so wedded to what they do that they leave their family behind. Jesus, however, he had this perfect blend of living in the present with an appropriate eye toward the future. He enables us to do the same, guys. To live in the present 
yet strive toward a future in a healthy way. So present and future. Here's the fourth set. Purpose and freedom. Purpose and freedom. Jesus knew why he had come. Why did he come? To do his Father's will. Let me read to you John 4, 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, he was bothered at sometimes when the disciples questioned his mission. He was bothered by that. But understand, guys, Jesus was passionate about his calling. He worked with abandon. He was a hard worker. He was a passionate man about his calling, about his work. However, and listen to this. Jesus lived with an amazing sense of balance. He was never in a hurry. He was never compulsive. And he never, ever rushed. And he never forced people to do what he knew what was best for them. You see, Jesus had the perfect, perfect understanding of what's good for you and you and you. But he always invited. He said, come, follow me. He never forced. He never pushed anybody. He never did any arm twisting. He never did that. He knew his purpose. And he knew if others would embrace his purpose for them, it would be best. Yet he released them to make their own choice. Follow me if you want to. Guys, listen. A secure man is clear on his purpose. And yet your security is not whether or not others do what you want them to do. Whether it's your kids, whether it's your employees, or others you have influence over. Cheryl and I, we, we live in Spring Grove now. We used to live in Aurora. And Aurora has some really great bike paths. And we would bike. We have recumbent bikes. You know what a recumbent bike is? It's a bike kind of like you're sitting in a chair. It looked kind of goofy from an adult standpoint, but we got lots of comments from 10-year-old boys. They really liked our, our bikes. <laughs> and uh, we were riding one day, and we were talking about purpose. I said, you know, let's talk about you know, our purpose. What does God have us here for? I told her I was reading a book called Leaders Who Last by Dave Kraft, and one of the chapters, he deals with purpose. When he was a kid in high school, he went to the principal's office, and he noticed in the back of the office was a plaque, and these words were on the plaque. Some people come into our lives and quietly go. Others stay a while and leave footprints in our hearts, and we are never the same. When he read that plaque, he said, that stirred my heart, and I committed for the rest of my life to leave footprints, positive impact in the lives of people. But in that same chapter, he goes on to say that many men confuse purpose and career. And that got me thinking. And then it's your comment about sometimes pastors are far, farther away than anybody else. And you're right. And let me say, guys, one of the things I struggle with, I think all pastors struggle with, is getting our identity wrapped up in being a pastor. It's a temptation for me and my vocation, just like it's a temptation for you. Jesus, however, he was clear on his purpose. And even though some quit following him, they stopped following him, I don't want to follow you anymore, Jesus did not let that derail his purpose. You see, guys, you look at the life of Jesus, and he tells us, and he shows us by his very life, that true masculinity is living with purpose, is living with passion, is living with energy every day, yet not feeling like we have to control others. Now, I'm not saying you let your kids or you let your employees go wild, but I'm saying a man who's secure in himself doesn't let someone who does stupid things derailing from his purpose. Purpose and freedom. Here's the last one. Strength and sensitivity. Strength and sensitivity. And this is especially with, with women. Uh, now, and when I say strength, I don't mean, you know, you're strong, like you got muscles. I don't mean that. On the sensitivity side, Jesus elevated the status of women often. That one time he was in Mary and Martha's home. That was Lazarus' uh, two sisters. He was sitting there, and he was teaching, and Mary was doing something that was usually reserved only for men. She was sitting at his feet. And that was reserved for men. And he honored her for doing that very thing. He defended a woman caught in adultery not to approve her adultery, but to expose the injustice of the whole process that exposed her. So on the one hand, Jesus was very, very sensitive to women. On the other hand, guys, he was forceful and knew when he needed to put his foot down. One time he... Uh, uh, was blunt with his mother who wanted him to do something outside of his purpose. 
He was blunt with Martha. When Martha and Mary, when he was in their home, Martha was back in the kitchen trying to make the perfect meal. He was very blunt with her. said, Martha, you're missing the whole thing. You're missing the most important thing. In John 14, he candidly pointed out to women, a woman at a well, that she had five husbands, and that went right to the heart of her failures. Jesus knew when to be sensitive and when to be firm. And unfortunately, sometimes, guys, we, we do one of the extremes. We will be harsh and demanding and controlling, or we'll have no backbone. And let me say, women don't like either. They don't want a passive-aggressive, no-backbone guy, and they don't want a guy who's always pushing them around. Jesus gave us the perfect blend. Now, let's, let's review these pairs. Remember what I asked you to do? To pick the strength, pick the weakness, power and compassion, head and heart, present and future, purpose and freedom, strength and sensitivity. So what's your strength? What's the strength that you can make and say, Charles, yeah, God's done that in my life. You can rejoice in that. That's good. It's good to celebrate that. Well, then which of these ten would you say, uh, that one or that one. I, I got a lot of work to do. Whichever one was the tough one, here's my assignment for next week. Three things. Number one, tell somebody. Maybe it's your, your, your buddy and your, uh, at work. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's Dennis, somebody that you respect. Say, you know, this guy was speaking on Sunday. And he kind of gave me this list of these things. And I was supposed to pick one. I just want to tell you there's this woman I'm really working on. Just, if you just hold me accountable, I'd appreciate it. So tell somebody. Number two, write it down and put it where you see it each day. On a post-it note, you know, on the refrigerator, uh, on your dashboard, wherever you see it every day for the whole week. This is for seven days. And finally pray about it. Say, Lord, just do, do in me what, what needs to be done. Is that a reasonable ask, guys? Yeah, okay. I'll see a few head, head shakes there. Now, here's a problem, guys. We often try to develop our masculinity in ways that just don't work. In fact, the Scripture says the smartest guy in the world... Solomon tried everything in the world to find his identity and his masculinity. He had the ability, he had the power, he had the money and the wherewithal to try everything. It's kind of like if we watched all the commercials in in a whole week and we had the the money and the ability to try everything they said. See how satisfied it was? He tried it all. He tried women and success and building things, education, accomplishment, money, you name it. He did all that and he gave us his personal journal called Ecclesiastes, one of the books in the Old Testament. And it's his story of how, what led him to the conclusion after trying all these things to give him a sense of satisfaction. And here's what he said. Meaningless, meaningless. All is meaningless under the sun. That was his conclusion. Then he realized at the very end, he says in Ecclesiastes 12, 3, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Now, in New Testament terms, 2 Peter 1, 3 says the same thing. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him through, who called us by his own glory and goodness. The bottom line, guys, is this. All these ten things I've given you, you can't do them. You can't do them. It's impossible. Without supernatural help from the Lord. Now, I want to read to you. I want to story that i picked up a couple of weeks ago remember last year in aurora colorado when the batman movie came out and this guy broke into this theater and killed a bunch of people remember that story well it was, it was on all the news but i didn't realize this is a backstory let me read you the backstory bill bennett wrote this on cnn he says great evil often brings out the best and good men like todd beamer on flight 93 we know who he is and now the aurora three i've never heard of the aurora three the three young men, each in different parts of Theater 9, who gave their lives to protect their girlfriends. 25-year-old John Blunk sitting next to his girlfriend, Jansen Young, on the midnight premiere of The Dark Knight Rises when the gunman opened fire in the dark theater. Blunk instinctively pushed his girlfriend to the ground and threw his body on top of hers. Blunk, a security guard, served five years in the Navy and was in the process of re-enlisting to become a Navy SEAL. He was killed in the gunfire. His girlfriend survived. 24-year-old Alex Teves dived on top of his girlfriend, Amanda Lindgren, when the gunfire erupted. Covering her body, he took the bullets so they did not harm her. She survived the massacre. He did not. Matt McQuinn, 27 years old, threw his body in front of his girlfriend, Samantha Yaller, as the shooting continued. Yaller survived with a gunshot wound to the knee. McQuinn's body absorbed the fatal shots. 
These men were three of the 12 innocent people killed early that morning. Their incredible sacrifice leaves us asking, why? Why would a young man with his entire life ahead of him risk everything for a woman he has no legal, financial, or marital obligations to? Then he refers to a magazine writer who so eloquently pointed out in a recent article calling it chivalry would be a tremendous understatement. By all appearances, these men believe that a man has a responsibility to protect a woman, even to the point of death. They believe that there are things in life worth dying for, and the innocent woman sitting next to him was one. And he concludes with this. They believed, to put it simply, in a code of honor. They put the lives of the women before their own and old-fashioned notion to be sure but certainly an honorable one. If you have any doubt, ask the survivors. Their instincts were to protect, not to run away. Two lessons from this I gleaned. Number one is this. We need more men like those guys. Number two, the only way we can become that kind of man is to trust in the one who took the bullet for us, Jesus Christ. But guys, what I'd like to do right now, I want to pray for you. And I'm going to kind of step out here on faith. And here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to have a little short prayer. And then what I'm going to do with nobody looking but me, if you want me to specifically pray for you, and of course I don't know your names, but to pray for you that you want to make a kind of a physical statement that, God, I want, you to, I want you to change my life in that area. Just put your hand up and put it right back down. Nobody's looking but me. Then I want to pray and I'll close the prayer. Okay? So would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Father, I, I, I know as a, as a guy that there's no way I can live out those qualities without the power of Christ flowing through me. And I know sometimes I stumble and I fall, but I thank you so much for your grace that it covers all of my failures. And Lord, I pray for the men here today. I don't know their stories. I don't know their backgrounds. We all bring unique experiences to life to this very day. Lord, I know that you want us to be your kind of man. So now as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, nobody's looking, me and the pastor up here, if you'd like for me to pray for you, that God will work in that. Whatever that area it is you pick, just put your hand up and put it right back now. So do that right now. Great, great. Anybody else? Oh, thank you. I want to pray for you now. Father, I pray for right now for those who raise their hand, both women and men who raised their hand a moment ago, that your Holy Spirit would empower them to experience your grace this next week that you would begin and continue that transformative process in whatever area they chose that you would make them more like you and lord you'd remind them that when we stumble that you are there to forgive and lord that you would remind that there are people in their circle of influence that want them to be successful and want them to have victory in life and that i pray lord that whoever they tell that person would be that encourager that person who holds them lovingly accountable. Lord, I pray these next seven days days would be rich, a rich uh, experience of your transformative work and the power of Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a great week to uh, talk about what it means to be a man, masculinity. This coming week, we'll celebrate the birth of our nation. And a lot of times when we think of those founding fathers in our minds, I don't know, mine at least, they're about eight and a half feet tall, you know, and they, they hunt their own food. And I mean, they're dudes. They're just, mm, they're men. They're, you know, we get that image in our minds. And yet where Charles landed in the sermon is exactly what makes those men so great. As they wrote that name on that declaration, they realized that day they were putting a mark on their backs. They realized that there was something greater in life worth dying for. Something greater than themselves. And it turns us back to the sacrifice of Jesus. For all that is great about Jesus, and we could go on all morning long about all that is great about Jesus. He knew full well in coming that he was coming to die. He was coming to sacrifice his life for us, bottom line, he knew there was something in life worth dying for. 
and you can fill in your name in that blank because Jesus believed you were worth dying for. That's what we'll celebrate this morning as we have some time of communion. Our servers will be coming and uh, we'll, we'll spend some time worshiping God and what he's done for us in this moment. The bread comes and it's in the center. Cups are around the side. Go ahead and take the bread right away. Hold on to the cup and we'll take that as we end. You can come serve now.
Jesus, I thank you for having and demonstrating the strength, the power, the masculinity, if you will, to sacrifice. To sacrifice for us, to sacrifice for me. Thank you for giving your life so that we can have a full life here and eternal life with you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. You can drink the cup. Our servers will come now and receive the offering as they do. Let me share a few things with you before we head out today. You may have brought your um, installment of your homework assignment today. That is the cards for, for Mary Beth and for the Clarks. If you brought those, one of the questions people have asking is, where do I put those? If you want, it's very convenient. Basket's coming right now. You can place it in there if the card's not too large. If it is, you can hand it to me on the way out the door. I'll be at the door. You can put it on the back usher table, any of those places, and we'll make sure that those get to them this coming week. Omega is just a little bit away for our high schoolers. One of the additions to Omega, we have another permission slip that you need to fill out. So if you've already filled out all your paperwork, there's one more. Brian has those for you today. He'll have them out in the hallway. Make sure you get that and fill that out. This, this past week, we set out on a journey together, a journey of praying. Talked about it last week. 40 days, basically starting last week through August 1st, where we're really intensely praying as a church uh, for the direction that God has for us uh, in, in terms of the future. And we've asked you to join us in that. In fact, we had a, a card available for you of prayers that you can be praying, verses that you can be lifting up to God. Some of those cards are available on the guest table uh, today. So if you didn't get one last week, make sure you do that. What I've been trying to do throughout the week, I've just been uh, between blog and Facebook throwing out a prayer that I'm praying. Uh, not that you'll necessarily pray the exact same words, but we're in a corporate sense lifting up the same prayers to God. And what we are trying to do, if you look at your uh, folder today, I believe it's um, the second announcement, we're laying out for you uh, throughout this coming month some of the, the conversations we'll be having together and in smaller groups in terms of the future. Two weeks from now, uh, Sunday the 14th, we hope to be able to bring you some of the things we're learning about the possibilities of a facility. And so we want to be able to lay that out for you. Then we'll take two weeks where we'll have smaller conversations, time for you to be able to get together and ask a lot of questions. And if things keep moving along, hopefully we'll be able to come together at the end of the month and have a special business meeting where we'll be able to talk about perhaps uh, some plans for moving ahead. So that's what's happening throughout the month. But in the meantime, we need you to pray. And i got to tell you... Uh, I, I love the fact that you've been joining us in prayer. And there have, been, there have been roadblocks thrown down this past week that I'm convinced would never have been thrown down apart from your prayer. So just keep praying. Keep praying. And one of the things we encourage you to do, get over to the property. We have some chairs set up over there. We're calling them the prayer chairs, chairs ironically, to be able to go and just spend some time praying. You want to know how to get to the property? It's very easy. You're going to leave today. You're going to go out, Dove, and you're going to see that big sign that has a 930 on it. So no matter what else you see, you see 930. Take a right and go to the first driveway on the left and turn in. Don't worry, the guy's nice. No shotgun, no hound dog. He's, he's very friendly. He knows you're coming. You drive about halfway down and you take a left. We have signs set up so you can see the sign. Little parking area there for the garden. And you walk around the perimeter of the garden and you'll see a path. It's brown right now, so you can see it's well-worn. And you head back on in and just spend some time praying and dreaming with God about the future. So we hope you'll go ahead and do that. It's been great to be able to spend the morning with you. I had to laugh as we were sitting up front. Um, as I mentioned to Lorraine, the, the whole Gap map. Did you happen to notice the woman never went into Gap? <laughs> she hit every store in the joint, spent all that money, and the arrow never went into Gap. I am stunned and blown away. I go shopping with these girls. I will wander the outlet mall seven times and be in the car 20 minutes later, and they're still in the first store. I don't get it. I don't get it, but I love it. I love them. So it's great to be able to be with you today. Have a great 4th of July. Celebrate, guys. Take the initiative to spend some time with your family. Don't make it a day to just catch up on all the chores. Spend some time with your family, all right? You have a great day. We'll see you.